0: This is an ABC podcast.
1: This is The
2: Conversation Hour.
0: On ABC Radio, Melbourne and Victoria.
2: Does the Great Ocean Road need saving, whether it be from coastal erosion, road maintenance, through to development? The Great Ocean Road is one of the most loved and iconic tourism attractions in Victoria, but it's also one of the most debated in terms of how we preserve this beautiful stretch of coastline. Many now claiming that the Great Ocean Road needs to be saved. So what does it need to be saved from? We know that parts of the road are disappearing and crumbling into the ocean, making stretches of the road dangerous. Some locals are even claiming that sections of the Great Ocean Road need to be physically moved. Tolls have long been debated to try and maintain and limit the number of people who use the road. And then, of course, like so many other coastal areas, there's the debate of development and access. Who has right to live there? Who has rights to visit the Great Ocean Road? And are locals being pushed out? So many things. So maybe the Great Ocean Road does need to be saved. Do you live there? Do you holiday there? And do you believe that the Great Ocean Road needs saving?
0: This is The Conversation Hour
2: on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Good morning. My name's Rochelle Hunt, your co-host today, Ashlyn McGee, 7.30 reporter. And Ash, you and your family have just returned from what is now, I think, your annual pilgrimage down the Great Ocean (laughs) Road, camping along glorious, pristine, untouched coastlines. Um, Could you feel the rumblings? You know, it's always debated, the Great Ocean Road. There's so many things that need to be taken care of. Did you feel any kind of tension while you were there?
3: Yeah, absolutely. And you can kind of see that I'm sort of floating back after holidays, you know, that post-holiday feeling of bliss. But this year was tinged with something a little bit different. And uh, I'm going to tell you why in just a second, but I just want to take you to the exact place. And I can say that this is so we can get into the story, but actually, like, let's just take a moment and and take ourselves somewhere beautiful. So shut your eyes. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Imagine the most perfect day, Mm -hmm. sun, blue sky, and then you look out over this beautiful, crystal clear blue stretch of water, and we're at this magical place, and you know how you don't want to give away the secrets, of your favourite holiday place. But in you this, want to tell everyone in at the In this case, same I want time. to tell everyone. is <laughs> 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 this gorgeous place called Marengo, which is the next bay around from Apollo Bay. And it has uh, a reef just offshore that protects it. So it's got these beautiful little rolling waves. Sometimes it's still, it's clear. You can go out quite deep up to your waist, under your arms. It's icy cold because it's Victoria, but it's just gorgeous. And there's nothing there. It is the start of the Great Ocean Walk. There's a caravan park. There's no shop. There's no way you can buy anything. It's just pristine. It's beautiful. But this year when we were camping there, there was a bit of upset among some of the other campers because the Great Ocean Road Authority has decided to put in some glamping tents at different locations along the coastline. And, of course, that got everyone talking about, well, we don't want that here. And I got dragged into it but then kind of thought about, well, hang on a second, is this my space? Mm. Is this, you know, I've holidayed here with my family for a few years but...
2: How much ownership do I have? How much ownership do I have?
3: And I feel like this little plot of land here is mine with this beautiful view but clearly I can't afford it and (laughs) we don't own this view. So who is this place for? And that goes to that whole question of, of development and... And is it for tourists? Is it for locals? Is it for all of us to share? And if we're sharing, oh, my goodness, how do we do that? And
2: how involved do you make the locals? Do you allow the locals to be? And you mentioned the Great Ocean Road Authority. We actually have invited them multiple times to be on today's program we haven't had a decline, we just haven't really had an answer as to whether or not they're available today but we have invited them to be a part because I guess their role in this conversation around, do we develop camping spots to glamping spots, do we change sections of the road, do we add tolls to the Great Ocean Road, mm. do we shut some sections at times of the year to tourists to make it safe as well. And some people, Asha, even asking and calling for parts of the road to be physically moved so that it's away and it's safe. So So then I guess you can ask questions of is it still the Great Ocean Road if it's not along the ocean? But it is so debated and we do need to protect it and preserve it. I mean, it even comes down to whether or not there are enough public toilets along the Great Ocean Road. (laughs) I mean, there is a text here already, Ash, that says (laughs) the Great Ocean Road needs saving from toilet paper and poo. Toilets is something that has been debated yeah, and people are putting themselves into dangerous situations to go to the bathroom potentially. So maybe it. it's something as simple as toilets. Airbnbs and short stays is something else that already has come up on the text line as well. But our number is 1300 22774 Does the Great Ocean Road need saving? And if you think that it does, where does it need to be saved and how does it need to be saved? I think the interesting thing too is
3: just how many different uses there are. So you've got holiday makers, you've got people in Airbnbs and camping, you've got locals who live there, like that's, that's where they live, that's their life. You've got these coastal and national parks, you've got walking trails there. And I think that's the interesting part of this is you've got so many people who've got dibs to this yeah. amazing road there. And then how do you balance all that out? Um, so, I think that's really where the conversation is at at the moment. And it would be great to hear from the Great Ocean Road Authority. So, it is this new statutory body that the Victorian government established uh, in December 2020. So, basically, it used to be this whole mix of organisations and councils, and it was all a bit ad hoc. Who managed it? Who put the loose there for people? Who, you know, who set up this road, basically? It's all come under the one organisation. But as we found out in the last week, it's a little bit tricky to get a hold of this organisation, so we can find out a little bit more about their what plans. their role is and what yeah, their plans be are. Great to hear from them this morning.
2: Let's go back to the beginning. Pete Spring is the vice president of the Lawn Historical Society, and Pete, when we talk about how significant and how important the Great Ocean Road is, how did it come to be built?
4: Morning, Michelle. Um, <clears throat> the the Great Ocean Road was part of a scheme that were to uh, open up transportation and correct the appalling roads in the western half of Victoria. Um, and an organisation called the Country Roads Board, which is the predecessor to Vic Roads, was established in 1912 to to look at fixing the problem of opening up transportation routes and, and fixing the roads that already existed. Um, it was a businessman from Geelong, Howard Hitchcock, who saw the opportunity to not only create uh, uh, an infrastructure that would bring tourism into the region, but also create the opportunity for employment for return servicemen from World War One. Do, um,
3: do you think he ever realised, uh, Pete, just uh, how many tourists would end up using that road? Mm-hmm. I don't think he could have foreseen that.
5: Would uh,
4: he? I, do- I doubt it. I mean, I can remember, I, I've lived in Lawn on the Great Ocean Road for over 20 years now. And um, pre-COVID, we were watching 60, uh, 50-seater tourist buses a day coming along the Great Ocean Road, to say nothing of, of the other the caravans and motorhomes and 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 even day trippers. So yeah, it, it's it's been an enormous um, tourist boon, uh, but with that comes problems. And uh, you've alluded to the problems of the the condition of the road. Um, you know, these are things that. It, there is a tremendous strain on the on the on the road itself, and I, from what I can see, there doesn't seem to be the um, the funds available to to fix it.
2: Pete Spring is with you, Vice President of the Law and Historical Society. Pete, stay with us. Sue's in Hawthorne. Hi, Sue. Oh, hi. Do you think the Great Ocean Road needs saving? Oh, yeah. Look, absolutely. Look, I am. Um, look, I think the big issue
1: that that comes up me or is quite major for me is the affordable housing issue and I think, um, you know, I used to live down there and I used to rent actually and I was, look, I was pretty lucky to get a rental because, you know, I got it through friends but I think now, I think um, it's just really hard for people to to rent down there and also I think and that has a big impact on um, staffing Um, Mm -hmm. hospitality and places like that especially down in lawn so yeah i mean from a i guess from an accommodation point of view i think there's a lot of stuff that needs to um be improved
3: Yeah. It's interesting you say that, Sue. Um, Pete, I I just wanted to come back to you there uh, with the actual construction of the road and what that did for the town. So the towns along the Great Ocean Road, how did they develop uh, Mm. once the road was built and sort of opened that area up? What were they like before the road?
4: Um, Lorne in particular was was a very popular tourist destination from the 1870s Um, and there were I think in the early 1900s there were nearly in excess of 30 guest houses and two quite large hotels. And the um, holidaymakers either came uh, by clipper ship and uh, (laughs) let off at at lawn or they came over the Otways from Dean's Marsh in Covenco Coaches. (laughs) Um, So what the road did was just create the opportunity for so many more people to experience what, what lawn had to offer
2: when we talk about lawn and i love the idea that even you know back in sort of the 1800s you're talking about it having multiple guest houses at the time but just last week we looked into a program on regional architecture here and what's the importance of regional architecture and how homes and establishments should look and quite a few people raised lawn and just the huge amount of housing development that's going on there and i guess that could be said for a lot of coastal areas of well how do you change the feel of an area and how how does it change other people's experience of of a place? If you pick up uh, a Melbourne-style housing estate and Mm -hmm. plonk it in the middle of lawn, is that something that you think down the track could be detrimental to to small towns like lawn?
4: Absolutely. It it destroys the the character and the feel of those towns if if development is is allowed to go rampant. Um, There are fairly strict planning provisions in lawn and planning overlays on retention of vegetation uh, height limitations uh, the size of a block of a house in relation to the block of land that it sits on so to date um, yeah, we've, we've managed to preserve the tree canopy as you're coming into lawn you see a, a village uh, by the ocean but largely you see trees not houses uh, but you're right there has been quite a lot of development lately and the impact of that is um, at the last census, on on census night, uh, 24% of the houses in Lawn were occupied.
3: Yeah, so right. Seven,
4: six were unoccupied, and yet, you know, young families can't afford to buy, and people, and there is no, there is a drastic shortage of of uh, long term rental, uh, and that's that's the uh, one of the results of of Airbnb.
3: Yeah, it's obviously having a huge impact. We're going to explore the accommodation side of things a little bit, but I just uh, an interesting text has come in, uh, and that's from PJ and Bentley, saying, hey, instead of moving the Great Ocean Road, perhaps it could be made one way with a second roadway built. Now, (laughs) I think I heard you laugh there, but (laughs) I just want to know how on earth that road was built in the first place because when you drive along it, it is just like that's the thing that strikes me is... How do you physically build a road like that into a cliff on the side with I, an ocean there?
4: I, I know exactly what you mean and I still <laughs> wonder about it. Um, the, it's important to uh, note that whilst the CRB, the Country Roads Board, was responsible for the road from Torquay to nearly to Warrnambool, the section of the road that was built by returned servicemen was the most difficult section from mm. Eastern View, which is to the north of Lawn through to Cape Patton, which is between uh, Lawn and Apollo Bay. And I doubt it could be built today from an oh and yes. and workplace
5: safety point right. of view. <laughs> the
4: the return servicemen were literally uh, lowered over the, the, the tops of the cliffs um, with a rope around their waist.
6: Oh, my gosh. And
4: side by side, they, they, they went down to what was called the grade line, which is going to be the, the surface of the road. And then they dug a couple of footholds and then they <laughs> great, chipped into the cliff. By um, hands. Well, they, they had pick and shovel. Um, they learnt very early in the piece. The, the, the start of the construction was in 1919 and the Premier at the time uh, detonated a charge at, at the George River just south of Lawn. And that was when they realised that many of these 3,500 returned servicemen still suffering from shell shock so for quite some time all the work was done manually with pick and shovel
2: it's like scenes from shawshank redemption you know just (laughs) trying to get out of the just finally pete i mean were there many fatalities in it being built obviously it was dangerous work and it took a long time and there are a lot of men involved but how safe was it
4: there were no fatalities amongst the servicemen wow Uh, there was one suicide uh, remembering that these are people that have come back from the Western Front. Mm. Uh, and whilst uh, Hitchcock is renowned as the person who dreamt up the idea, um, from my research, a, a gentleman by the name of Major McCormick, who was a chief engineer and had had served uh, in World War I, uh, he recognised the fragility of these returned servicemen and he looked after them. Um, they were well fed, they were well paid, but he he cared for their their well being. And, uh, and there's a lot of uh, confusion. People drive along through Eastern View where the archway is, and they think that is the war memorial. Uh, that is in fact a memorial to Major McCormick, and the road itself is the war memorial. And and that's why it it, it needs to be preserved.
2: That's interesting. Yeah, um, and, and to
4: see it not, differently once you not think of it. Recognised yeah. these days that. That you know that is it is regarded as the longest war memorial in wow. the world. It changes your uh,
2: perspective, doesn't it? On yes. why and how it needs to be preserved. Yes. And a few texts have come in and said very similar things. Pete, we could pick your brain all afternoon, but we don't have time. But thank you so much for just sharing a little bit of that history with
4: us. Thanks for the opportunity, Rochelle. See you, Pete Spring,
2: the Vice President of the Lawn Historical Society. Rochelle Hunt and Ashlyn McGee are with you. We're talking about whether or not the Great Ocean Road needs to be saved, and if so, what from. Denise is in Footscray. Hi, Denise.
1: Oh, hello there. Um, We have a house in Skeens Creek um, on the Great Ocean Road, and I agree it's an amazing part of the world. We're very lucky. And we spend about half of our time down there. And <laughs> um, the thing that I wanted to comment on was your um, frustration at not being able to speak to anybody at Gore Kappa. Um I'd say, welcome to the club. Um we have had a really hard time trying to get any um, firm view or response on who is responsible for building the pathway between Skeens Creek and Apollo Bay that we were promised about 20 years ago when the sewerage was put in. So we currently have no way other than walking along the beach at low tide to get into Apollo Bay other than driving. If you live on the other side of Apollo Bay in Marengo, they do have a track that was put in at the same time at the time of the sewer. Um, but we still don't have one. And every time we ask about it, it gets bounced around between Coal Lake Hotway, Big Roads, um, mm-hmm or Kappa, we do not, there is no safe way to get into Apollo Bay other than by driving because it's too dangerous to cycle or walk along the road Um, and we have no services
3: at Skeens Creek so we have to drive in Denise, I wonder, what have you heard from the Great Ocean Road Authority? What kind of um, interactions have you had with them? Have they introduced themselves to residents and said, you know, g'day, we're here to manage the mm-hmm. the the road and the coastline? What, what have you heard? There
1: have been, yeah, look, there have
3: been some meetings down there, but they've usually been
1: at a time during business hours where people like me who have a day job are working, so I haven't been able to get to them. I have emailed them um, and got a very defensive non-reply um, that's about as much as I've been able to get out of them.
2: And are there many locals involved? You know, whenever we set up these authorities and task force or whatever it mm-hmm. may be, I actually wonder what the percentage of locals are on and in those organisations, Denise.
1: Yeah, well, that's a very good question. I have absolutely no idea. I'm a member of the Skeens Creek Association um, who are also in contact with the authority, um, which is great um but even just for example the redevelopment of the Steens creek caravan park i did ask a bunch of questions when that was being done and got a non-response and i was very disappointed to note that the work that was being done on the Steens creek caravan park which was long overdue we will all admit and it's there's a great improvement but as far as i've been able to establish the work was not done by locals um and the couple that they brought in to run it, they brought in from Queensland. Um, so they didn't give the work to locals. Yeah. Mm. And I thought that was pretty disappointing as well.
2: Denise, thank you. And I guess we've had a similar response here, just so that you mm. know, if you missed it before, we've put multiple requests into the Great Ocean Road Authority to join us today. That offer is still there if they'd like to call through. Our number's one three hundred triple two seven seven four. Hey, we've got Muzz here in Elstonwick. And Muzz,
3: you've lived and worked on the Great Ocean Road. Tell us yeah. about your experience of the place and, and what needs a fix-up?
5: Oh, thank you. You name it, it needs fixing. <laughs> because,
3: What's the yeah. worst thing on the road? Go on.
5: Oh, Now's I'd, your chance. I'd say the toilets for the tourists.
3: Are there That's many toilets along the road?
5: Oh, uh, no, because I lived at Kennet River for 27 years and I went there surfing since 1974. And no, it's no there's no sewerage there. And they've got these temporary toilets at Kennet River and like there used to be 50 buses before the pandemic a day. And they truck the water from Colac, fresh drinking water to, from Colac to fill up a water tank to flush them with. And then they suck the sewage out with it truck and truck it back to Colac. Oh, wow,
3: That sounds expensive
5: that diesel, as well. All that wasted diesel. And, everything. and I worked at the Falls Festival, which went for 27 years in Lawn. And we developed in Tasmania. They moved to Tasmania two, ten years ago to Marion Bay. And my friend runs it down there. We call ourselves the Green Team. We won the greenest festival in the world with the lowest carbon footprint.
3: Yeah.
5: And I tried to get on to Colac, got way shy about. They spend all this money with temporary toilets and to try and have composting toilets like we have at at balls festival mm. and uh, they were all interested at the start then they just blocked me and ignored me said they'd ring back and never did and
3: it'd be
5: interesting. They yeah, um, sorry.
3: it'll be interesting, Mars, to see what the Great Ocean Road Authority um, does about that because that's something that they mentioned to campers when we were down there is that they know that the toilets are an issue and whether you're driving along the road in a tourist bus or whether you're uh, doing, say, the Great Ocean Walk, it is a bit of a problem. Um, Elizabeth, you're in Apollo Bay and, and you must see so many tourist buses going back. What's it like now post-pandemic? Are we back up to like the 50 buses a day?
6: no we're not um i work in the tourism industry and we're certainly not back up to that um huge visitation that we were getting pre-covid but it is it is improving and we are getting international visitors now and tourists are important to the towns along yes. the great ocean it provides a lot of income for a lot of people but having said that um the what it was like pre-covid when we were getting as the man in, in lawn mentioned 50 60 full-size coaches a day passing through the town, is a a real problem. And I don't believe anything's being done to look at ways to address that once it ramps up again. What you tend to find is a lot of those people are doing day trips to the Twelve Apostles. They booked and paid for those trips overseas or um, at best in Melbourne. And quite often are just travelling through. They they use the toilets, they use Mm. the bins. But there's, not there's no a money.
2: money. Gosh, that is such a global uh, issue. You could pick up that concept and take it to the day trippers and the cruisers in Venice, for example. And even though there are <laughs> literally, I'm not joking, <laughs> yeah, thousands yeah. of people that will be traveling through, are they actually spending any money? And where, as you say, Elizabeth, was that ticket initially booked? And if they're in and out, then, uh, you know, are they actually spending any money? But yeah, the, the, get, the love it hate it between.
6: The people in the cruisers do tend to, a lot of them, stay a little longer. Also, their vehicles don't have the same impact on the road as the very large coaches. So it's looking at where does the money come from to maintain the road and to also, you know, clean the toilets, empty the bins. Provide so that comes services. back to tolls, right? <laughs> so this is the, the and up this is why there, I yeah. feel like
2: that when we talk about saving the Great Ocean Road, it's like a scene out of Groundhog Day. It, and
6: I would I would echo the the conversation about the great ocean road authority too i I think there was a lot of hope when the authority was first mooted that you know it was difficult dealing with multiple agencies whenever anything needed to happen Um, and i think people felt like well here's one organization that can um, amalgamate all of those interests into one body it might have more clout it might have more funding and if you read their mission and vision statement one of the overarching things they say is mm. consultation with communities and involving communities in decision-making. And that just hasn't happened. Yeah. And there's been new well, we're
2: hearing that over and over. Elizabeth, thank you. Our number's 1300 222 774 if you would like to contribute. And Ashlyn, I mean, as we heard multiple times there with Elizabeth, the but... You need tourists, <laughs> but yeah. it's a fine line, isn't it? How much of it is now and is that economy set up on relying on tourists, but at the same time, how much impact are tourists having yeah. on the wellbeing of the road? Whether it be loose, or whether it be just too many tourists and buses and tolls and the impact that it's having, how do you create that balance? It is so hard. <laughs> but we've had this
3: chance to have a rethink and a reset really with COVID when we haven't had tourism. We go, okay, well, what did we like about that? Did we like having more use of it for say local audiences um, and local tourists or other towns and, and, and those beautiful sites along there, are they something that we would really like to share with the whole world? And I think that's a really interesting thing that she mentioned just there about Everyone just driving past to get to the Apostles, which, if you ask me, they're not the best part of the road. Great Ocean road. This is The Conversation
4: Hour. I- let the slip away. Life was the down the Great Ocean Road. Pre-COVID, we were watching 60 tourist buses a day coming along the Great Ocean Road.
2: Rochelle Hunt and Ashlyn McGee with you talking. The Great Ocean Road, many close to it are calling for it to be saved. So do you believe that it needs to be saved? And if so, what from? Is it too many tourists? Is it looking at coastal erosion as well? Is it looking at... Development and whether or not we should be letting glamping coming into pristine parts that many, including Ash, spend your summers at. Hey, everyone has an opinion on oh, this, yeah. Rish.
3: <laughs> there oh, are so yeah. many texts coming through here. Some that are really interesting, there's one here, the Great Ocean Road is a valuable tourism uh, asset. It's actually really well-known in China, which would know that from seeing all the tourist buses down there. I used to work with Chinese students, Alan says, and a lot of them had the Great Ocean Road on their bucket list while they are in Australia. And I really like this other one here. I go to the Great Ocean Road Hidden Gems on a regular basis. And this person goes on to raise some of the issues there with dogs and nappies. But I'm kind of interested in that idea of, well, maybe we don't have to all just head to the one spot on the road. It's, it's you know, kilometres and kilometres of beautiful coastline. What are the hidden gems? I shared mine and I think you should share yours.
2: <laughs> well, someone who probably knows is Chris Ryan who's going to play those cards close to his heart. He's not only from Melbourne University leading a research project on designing the futures for the Great Ocean Road, but he is a local himself. He lives in Aries Inlet. Chris, it really is one of the most loved but one of the most debated coastal areas and tourism attractions that Victoria has. Would you agree with that?
7: Yes, good morning. Uh, Absolutely. But I think what um, you probably would have heard from government, whether it be the agency or someone else, is that strangely, it wasn't really till about 2016-17 that government realised exactly what the value of the road was, both in terms of the number of tourists, which have been talked about, which pre-pandemic were expected to already now be around 10,000 people a day. Um, But uh, also the, the fragility of some of what it is that makes the road so spectacular and such an attraction and the incredibly bad condition of so many of the fragile points along the road. So the authority was brought into, the Act of Parliament establishing the authority was brought in to try to protect and preserve the road Um, but at the same time benefit from tourism and that's a really difficult equation. Well in a little breaking news
2: we've actually just had a call from the Great Ocean Road Authority who have finally got back to us and they will address some of the issues and have a chat with us a little later in the program so we'll speak to them in about 10-15 minutes.
3: And we heard earlier from uh, our caller at Skeens Creek there who had some questions so if anyone does have any questions for the Great Ocean Road Authority it would be really good to hear from you. Now's your chance to get those questions in and we'll put as many of those to the authority as we can. Um, I'm interested though, uh, Chris, can you tell me a little bit more about what exactly your project looks to do? Because it's this kind of collaboration between these four Melbourne universities. You've got international students in there as well. What exactly are you looking at with the Great Ocean Road?
7: So uh, a lot of the pressures on the road which have been canvassed um, and the importance, the multi-dimension, the importance of the road um, uh, mean that the future of the road is incredibly difficult to deal with. And uh, there are additional ones which haven't really come up yet. People have made reference to coastal erosion, which is accelerating and it's accelerating because of climate change. A uh, number of key villages along the road we know have been wiped out in the past from fires in those really hot years and the kind of summers that we've all gladly not uh, had to deal with for a few years now, um, and also from, from rain and from unusual amounts of rain which are eroding the cliff um, face of the road. Uh, you know, they, they, if you add a number, of, if you add climate change into the pressures that are already there, then, then actually working out how to, what the uh, viable futures might be for mm. the road is incredibly complex. And in part, it's complex because if you deal with any any one issue, like say, protecting the erosion as has been happening at uh, at, uh, Kennet River, uh, a bit around uh, um, uh, Polar Bay and Skins Creek, Uh, you often just exacerbate one of the other effects.
2: So, Chris, is a part of the research then to, is it purely to highlight the issues and the problems that we have, of which many of us know, or is it looking at solutions? So we know and we've been debating coastal erosion and tolls and capping tourism and development on on this stretch of Victoria for a very long time. Mm. So is it about solutions as well, do you think?
7: It's absolutely about solutions and it's absolutely about trying to think of viable futures for the road that take into account the multi-dimensions of the Mm. challenges um, and really to play in a sphere that we've come to understand is so important when you have a complex set of pressures that you're trying to balance, which is let's, uh, let's imagine various futures that try to address all of those issues and their interactions. And Victoria has an amazing set of skills, which over the last or two decades or so of work have been able to focus on challenges of that sort by bringing together the design schools of uh, the four universities that are participating in this current project, Monash, Melbourne, RMIT, and Swinburne, and partly because they're universities that have a great deal of knowledge about the challenges but also because they have schools which are um, which address those kind of challenges and how you might balance them?
2: Yeah,
3: Chris, can I? Oh, sorry, <laughs> can I jump in there? We're both jumping in with questions here. Chris, I just want to know—you've um, got international students working on this project, and I wonder there are other roads like this around the world. You've got Chapman's Peak Drive in Cape Town in South Africa, which is spectacular as well. You've got uh, yes the West Coast mm. of New Zealand. Surely they have similar challenges between balancing tourism, environment, locals. Uh, how have other countries done it well? And, and what are the international students? What's their take on how we're doing
7: things? Yes, well, that, that, look, the, you mentioned students and that's absolutely critical to what we do. But, but the students uh, so far since the beginning of COVID, it's been very difficult to work. But those students are actually professionals who come back to those four universities to, uh, to get a master's or a PhD. So they're skilled professionals and we have managed to build this project into their education program. Oh, great. So we, we, have this, we have this secret resource. Really <laughs> where we have a, 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 poten- a potential of thousands yeah, of and it's... highly skilled professionals all over the world but particularly here in Melbourne who are enrolled in those universities. That sounds so important
2: and being able to keep those people working uh, in that area and uh, being able to draw on expertise from all around the world. Chris Ryan, thanks so much for your time. We really appreciate it. It's an Aries Inlet local and leading the research into designing the futures for the Great Ocean Road. Ashlyn McGee, your co-host today on The Conversation Hour. My name is Rochelle Hunt. Lots of people saying it's simple, Ash, just toll the day trippers. But I wonder how, how do you go about that, right? Because if it was simple, we would have I mean, done it. a toll it. booth, right? Just chuck your coin in as you go yeah. through. Do we have coins? That's, <laughs> away, that's Hello, old lady <laughs> that just made a comment. <laughs> and she's called. Scan the QR code. <laughs> Angie's in Glenair. Hi, Angie. Oh, hi. Um, I just wanted to bring up uh, the composition of Gore
6: Kappa. And whether there's any representation from uh, Apollo Bay to the Twelve Apostles, because that's the problem. There isn't actually uh, a concentration of um, information and local knowledge
3: from that from the Great Ocean Road from Apollo Bay to uh, the Twelve Apostles. What do, you Sorry, mean, what do you mean by that, Angie? What do you mean there's no information? Like there's no sort of well, signage I'm just, or...? I'm meaning that the composition of
6: the uh, scorecapper, mm. I'm wondering if there is, and I'm not sure, I'd like to know if there is anyone who knows it really well from...
2: Yep. I seem to have... Oh, Angie's has gone through it's, some kind of tunnel there. Yeah. It is interesting what she raises there though because you've got, uh, particularly up
3: around the Apostles and if you've been there lately, you drive along the road and it's sort of beautiful road, beautiful road and then suddenly you get towards the Apostles and last time I was there there were witches' hats and rope kind of stopping people from just pulling over Mm. randomly on the side of the road, which of course is important. It goes to that erosion thing. Uh, But it, it seems a little chaotic around that area and if that's where everyone's headed and more and more tourists are coming back into the country now... Surely we need to rethink how we're doing things in that area.
2: And of course today the spotlight's on the Great Ocean Road But and we discussed this off air, Ash, is that this is a lens that could be thrown to so many holiday areas and coastal areas as well. There's a text here saying save the Great Ocean Road but please the issue of strain on local resources and roads, etc. is an issue across all coastal areas, the Mornington Peninsula, Phillip Island, Gippsland, at all costs. Let's look at this with a macro approach, not a micro approach. And look, we did discuss that but what's interesting about taking a micro approach, is that that can then be transported and taken to Phillip Island or taken Mm. to parts of Gippsland because, as we've heard, this is actually not even just a Victorian issue. This is an international Mm. issue. We've got people from all around the world that are looking at how do you solve these particular issues? How do you come up with a balance?
3: Well, a couple of years back we were in New Zealand uh, just before the pandemic, actually, and we were driving along the West Coast, which has very similar and beautiful roads. And we got to a spot and realised there was a lot of traffic in town and we thought this is a bit strange and then realised there was a rockfall ahead at one of the passes and, of course, we couldn't get through. We were stuck there for four or five days, as was everyone else, not a particularly scenic spot. I'd probably prefer to be stuck <laughs> stuck at Lawn or Apollo <laughs> Bay or Skeens Creek or somewhere like that. Yeah. But it these can have a huge sh- impact. Exactly, it has a massive impact, and these are challenges that so many other countries are facing. Chapman's Peak Drive in South uh, in South Australia, not South Australia, South Africa is is a very similar road. So I'm interested in what other countries are doing because they must. be have some kind of big management And they can be
2: fatal. They can be absolutely catastrophic. So, you know, maybe the reason why we haven't made huge decisions and we're still debating it is because Touchwood's, and thank God that something significant hasn't happened there. But is that just a matter of time? Malcolm's in Wangaratta. Hey, Malcolm.
0: Yeah, thank you for taking me call. I've got two points to make about these roads. Uh, we've I'm in the king valley and we've got the state government promoting the king valley as a real wine tourism area they they they're putting money into wineries uh, restaurants and so forth and promoting tourism and our road is shocking in in a lot of places it's uh it's very very narrow and the shoulders are really really bad um, and then we've got vic roads who are responsible for this road now no there seems to be no no authority properly investigating what's going on in Vic Roads because we've just seen a new section of road being re and and um, one would have thought that they would have widened this road where they've done this section, but they've actually left it as narrow as it Mm -hmm. it has been with the shoulders already down. Now, between the white lines of the road, you can't fit your truck on it, right? You cannot fit your truck between the white lines between the sideline and the centre line. Now, this... All that does is deteriorate the edges of your road. So we're wasting money. We're wasting money. Vic Roads is wasting money. There should be an inquiry into the actual how you fix up a road or how what you needs reach a road.
3: Yeah. It's interesting that idea of roads because we've got so many te- texts coming in about that. About what about an inland bypass route, says Andrea, from Anglesey to Lawn and Apollo Bay? And a few people have suggested that. Because then, perhaps, if you don't need to use the Great Ocean Road itself, if you just want to get to the end destination, uh, then you can actually do the
2: locals, maybe too. So use yeah. the inland; you don't have to use the tourist. I always think if you're a local in a high peak season, I spend a lot of time at Phillip Island, and the road getting in from San Remo into Cow. Do you mean the car park? Was ch- <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, and I could see tradies, yeah. and I was like, oh my god! Imagine if you were just trying to get to work. Well, right that's now. the that's the other thing. There's a text here. It's hard to feel
3: sorry for Rod. Here he's saying he took his Porsche for a drive along the Great Ocean Road. You poor thing, Rod, that sounds awful. He said, I was looking forward to it, but two kilometres in, I turned around, I couldn't get out of first or second gear, the Great Ocean Car Park from rod and it is that thing of, of you can't actually use the road so do we need to look at some new inland route
2: well that's it and that's what andrea thought who lives in the area and charlotte allen agrees she's the aries Inlet and district association president and chair of the great ocean roads communities network charlotte you believe that moving parts of the great ocean road is necessary what which sections are you talking about
8: oh good morning Look, there. I mean, there are there are sections of the Great Ocean Road that um, are certainly under under threat, as Chris Ryan has mentioned, and I mean, particularly the section in, in Apollo Bay, and also around Eastern View, where um, it, you know the, the the treatments at the moment sort of include rock walls and groins and things. But um, it just seems to us that one of the things that the authorities should be thinking about. Is whether or not some sections of the road that are under those sorts of threats should be rerouted. I mean, it, it seems that in the end, that that's going to be an, an inevitable outcome. And at the moment, they're not. Those sorts of solutions don't seem to be on the agenda at all. Hey Charlotte, where would you like to see a road to and from? Like where would it, where would it work for locals? You mean if it was rerouted? Yeah. Mm. Well, I mean, I think the the sections that I'm talking about are really quite small. So, you know, you you would you'd still have the Great Ocean Road, but just where it's where it's, at the moment it's been um, threatened by coastal erosion, um, you'd do something about moving moving that. I mean, at the moment, a lot of the solutions seem to be putting in rock walls, mm. and I mean, it also as as has been mentioned before, that's do, not necessarily you know, are a good solution because often all it does is just transport the problem mm. further down the coast.
2: And just finally, because we actually the Great Ocean Road Authority have called through and we want to have a have a chat to them because lots of different questions we want to put to them. Charlotte Allen, how do locals feel about your idea of rerouting areas of the Great Ocean Road to move it away from the ocean and to move it inland? Is it that something that's looked upon positively?
8: Look, I mean I'd have to admit that it's not something that we have discussed um, broadly with with our members, um, and I would imagine that you know there'd certainly be um, various opinions. I mean for instance, I know that at the moment there's a petition for um, the erosion points at Point Road night for a, a rock wall to be put in there. So you know there are there are various viewpoints and I don't think you're ever going to have something where, where there's a unanimous opinion.
3: It is interesting because it, it it does feel a little bit like sort of patching up problems uh, along well, the
8: that's, road. That's what's happening at the moment, yeah. And, and certainly, I mean, the erosion, the the whole issue of coastal erosion is is enormous. I mean, you only just have to look at what's happened in the last few weeks in front of the Fairhaven Surf Club,
1: mm. where
8: um, you know the the surf club did have, I guess, would have been three or four meters of a vegetated sand dune in front of it and that's basically all
2: gone. Yeah. Charlotte, thanks for your time and it's interesting to sort of think about that and what that would look like as well. Charlotte Allen, Aries Inlet and District Association President and Chair of the Great Ocean Road Communities Network. Ash, this text saying there is an inland route, it's the Princess Highway.
3: (laughs) That is a long way inland. (laughs) I don't want to go that
2: far inland. (laughs) Think about all the op shops you could stop at along the way though. And this is another point which I hadn't thought about until this text came in saying you can't drive an EVV Along the Great Ocean Road because there's no charging infrastructure there at the Is moment. There
3: really not?
2: I have no idea. Tell us more. Let's more means test that out to our listeners. Yeah, if tell you've us driven more. the Great Ocean Road, Is there somewhere to charge your EV? Because that is certainly something that will need to be looked at. Jodie Sizer is the CEO of the Great Ocean Road Authority. Jodie, thanks so much for calling through. Lots of people have lots of questions about the authority and what you do. Can we start with how the authority is made up? Who's in the authority?
9: Good morning, Rochelle. Thank you for the opportunity to join and it's fabulous to listen the listeners for you to call in and have such great passion about the many issues that we're challenging along the Great Ocean Road. Uh, To your question, who's in the Great Ocean Road Authority? We're a relatively newly established authority, I'm the CEO. We have about 200 staff. We have uh, a board of 11 people that were uh, selected by the minister based on their skill set who provide incredible leadership. We have an executive team of five who work across the various portfolios within the business from environmental advocacy and conservation to infrastructure to our commercial businesses managing our caravan parks um, and a great leadership team across the business, across the whole of the road. That's huge. <laughs>
3: That's is a huge
9: organisation. Can you tell us, Jodie,
3: what exactly does the Great Ocean Road Authority do? What are you responsible for?
9: Well, it's a great question we were established as i mentioned in december 2020 in response to some very loud concerns from community for many many decades that have been uh, unresponded in the way that the creation of a single point of contact and a, in this instance a, a state authority was to be established and the three issues that really were identified as priority to be able to tackle are uh, that of fighting the impacts of climate change and in particular that of erosion Um, visitation management and ensuring that we do have the appropriate levels of environmental advocacy as we are looking for the future development and the intergenerational equity of our visitors and our communities along the Great Ocean Road.
2: Given that you've just spoken about 200 staff members, 11 on the board, that you've got five executives, yet from the people that we've heard from this morning, people are struggling to get into contact with you and to figure out who you are and what you do and whether or not even any of those over 200 people that we've just listed are locals. So can we start with where are you based? Are you based somewhere along the Great Ocean Road? Are you in the Otway Shire?
9: Oh, uh, we're based all the way along the Great Ocean Road. We have an office in Apollo Bay, in Anglesey. We have an office here in Baines Crescent, in Torquay. All of those staff are local. We operate eight caravan parks along the Great Ocean Road and have a very strong presence in each of those communities. And it's it's interesting to hear uh, the number of people that have come in via the calls mm. because we've had thousands of individuals engage with various place-based projects along the Great Ocean Road from the Apollo Bay Rec Reserve to the Fisherman Beach um, upgrade, literally thousands on each of those projects that come with their individual views and their perspectives from their various community groups that are having important input into those projects and Fishman's Beach is a great example where we've listened to those community views we've gone back to redesign we've come back with another round of consultation but um, 21 communities along the Great Ocean Road Rochelle and some have various interest groups in in Lawn where I've spent a lot of time in the last couple of weeks there's 12 interest groups that are represented by various committees and we are meeting with them all yesterday I spent the day at the community forum with Y River um, at a fundraiser on Friday with the Lawn community so we are Many examples of engagement, but um, and in Skeens Creek, I heard the community member speak to Skeens Creek. That uh, we met with the Skeens Creek Community Advocacy Group, who had some great input into the redevelopment of Skeens Creek uh, Camping Reserve. It's one of those many Mm. legacy issues, there's decades of legacy issues, and there's lots of legacy issues. (laughs) (laughs) It is, and we're here in the solution focused um, uh, problem solving mode and bringing a very
3: new approach. Jodie, can I ask you about one of those solutions that we keep hearing about from people again and again, just toll the tour buses. What do you reckon? Should there be a toll on the Great Ocean
9: Road? Well, the Premier's already stated that there won't be a toll on the Great Ocean Road, but there are a lot of considerations if we're going to adapt a approach to ensure the future generations are able to access the Great Ocean Road, as we've always done. The tourism operators, I think we need to consider a sophisticated approach to how we are ensuring that the millions of people that come along Great Ocean Road are spending more than their 18 cents and the impact of their footprint is far greater than that. So we're leading this year a Vision 2100 strategic approach. to say, Jody, can I, Jody,
3: can I just jump in because I know we're coming up to the 12 o'clock news and I really would like <laughs> to just get a couple more questions into you because I think that's a really interesting one about about how we make sure that that money is being spent along the road is there a way of charging say registration or access fees or something like that similar to what they do at Melbourne Airport for example that's not but that's not strictly a toll but it's a way of
9: getting money back from the people using the road. Sorry you're absolutely right and one of the primary um drivers for us is everything that is earned along the Great Ocean Road is reinvested back into the Great Ocean Road and that comes from all of our caravan parks, the leases, the license, the permit operating. Another part to that work, as we're building this organisation, is how the user of the Great Ocean Road does pay. So whether it's through tourism operators or access fees as we've seen in national parks at various parts across Australia or whether there is um paid parking in some parts we've seen before. We're investigating all those models over the next 12 months and there will be a lot of active uh, community mm.
2: consultation in that process. How long has the authority been together?
9: Just over two years. It's been an incredible build to transition the existing committees of management into a new authority okay. to bring that leadership and so- coordination on.
2: Two years, 200 people, what would you say has been achieved so far? Have have any of the ideas, any of these legacy issues, we know what the issues are, what has actually been achieved in those two years?
9: Oh, an incredible amount in transitioning and bringing together the, uh, the organisation. Last year alone we reinvested 19 million back into the Great Ocean Road itself. There's a significant amount of infrastructure that's being built um, Can you give us some million. examples of that, Jodie? Like, we've heard from people talking about toilets. There are no toilets
3: along the Great Ocean Road. Have you built any toilets? Uh, yes, there's I care toilets about toilets.
2: I'm <laughs> very passionate We're about, very about very toilets. <laughs>
9: <laughs> how many, how many toilets, sorry? It's 44, I think, at my last recollection of the numbers, but we are undertaking a, a toilet strategy, and it's a great example <laughs> of toilets. It sounds funny, but it's something. No, it's that we not. Hear most We're
2: about. not laughing because it's funny. It's so necessary. But I'd love the idea we've, that there's a toilet strategy.
9: We've got a
3: few texts that have come in here, Jody, and, and, and people are saying, "So, how many more feasibility studies do we need before we get our walking track and cycling track?" Someone else says, "This sounds like engagement with no action." Please list the achievements from Jody uh, from Deb, sorry, in Port Melbourne, and a lot of people talking about a lot of talk but no action. So I think it is that question of what are you hoping to do this year? What can we see? this year
9: some really can i give you a short snippet of some of the great activities yes. over the last and you will have to
2: weeks. be short jody apologies because we we're be heading sure. the news yep
9: well in the infrastructure that's been built along the caravan parks let me focus on this year Look, we've just launched our community engagement strategy which is a new formal structure of how community can be involved in a more formal way rather than our instance by instance reply on each of the um of the community events and activities but importantly this year we will be hosting our inaugural summit which brings the exciting work that we see globally in the biodiversity council framework leading with their four um, four goals and 24 targets the national environmental agenda and our new minister in ingrid Stitt, the great leadership we can bring to the place-based solutions across the mm. community in um environmental advocacy we've received grants from the victorian government on coastal erosions so there's a lot of master planning and But from my perspective, we do need to plan. There's been an absence of a whole of Great Ocean Road view with a quadruple bottom line approach that's really considering the the voices of each of those place-based community advocacy positions. But importantly, the social, the economic, the environmental and the cultural, that has not been done before on a whole of picture basis. And the rights of the TOs have not been considered in a lot of the development thus far. So it's important that we do have a strategic approach and then we can respond on an instance-by-instance basis and I have an open invitation, an open door. So if people well, are not... You might to regret <laughs> that you've just said that,
2: Jodie, but we appreciate the fact that you've called us anyhow and to try and get through some of those questions. And people can also head to the Great Ocean Road Authority. They can maybe email those throws questions through as well. Jodie Sizer, we appreciate you calling through. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Any Anytime. See you. Bye. And in answer to whether or not there are any charging points if you're driving an EV along the Great Ocean Road, Kathy says, yes, I noticed one, an EV charging point outside the Lawn Information Centre last week. So there is an EV charging centre in Lawn, Ashland McGee. Well, this all started because of your camping mm. holiday and many people have texted in to that beautiful little spot where you stay just alongside and just past Apollo Bay saying that, yeah, it did cause some uproar. So I don't know whether we've answered anything today, but we certainly interesting. Well I think we've opened a can of worms is <laughs> <It's> actually <laughs> what I think we've done. and people can catch you on 7.30 tonight Ashlyn. you've got yeah. a wonderful story on the Lockington Pub which is a community cooperative run pub and I know oh. I've spoken to them over the years what's happening at the yeah, Lockie. This
3: gorgeous pub in central Victoria and they just really swung into action when Rochester flooded so we went back checked out what was happening now checked in with the community to see how they were going and yes join me for a night at the pub it was so
2: much fun. Ashlyn McGee. You can catch her on 7.30 tonight as always. And welcome to the Conversation Hour team. So you're going to be a regular co-host with us on the Convo, so we're looking forward to it. Good to be here. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. Take care and we'll speak to you soon.